Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the Baby Bowl offseason here on the Fantasy Impact Today Network. Of course, with me is the daddy of the Baby Bowl himself, Rob Norton at Norton0723. And I am over on Twitter at Loafinit. And don't forget to follow both of us. Don't forget to follow the show, too, at FI Today with a little underscore there. But let me bring in that big daddy of him, uh, the Baby Bowl himself, Rob Norton. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Wes? I'm doing fine, doing fine. We had to skip a week, uh, but that's okay. It's off season. We could we could take a week here and there. I don't know. I don't remember why we had to skip a week at this point, but we certainly did. But we are back better than ever. We're going to be talking a little bit of Scott Fishbowl and some draft strategy for Scott Fishbowl. Also, some best ball strategy. And Rob, we, we this this whole show may be a nerd show. I, I'm just I'm warning everybody up front. We're going to nerd out a little bit, and I know you, Rob, are going to nerd out a little bit whenever you start talking about <laughs> some of these draft strategy, strategies in best ball or even Scott Fishbowl. As you and I were talking a little bit before the show, I was like, oh, boy, Rob is in his prime right now. He's just he's just loving this topic. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, some of my favorite favorite aspects of fantasy in general is just finding out you know, what are optimal strategies of drafting, optimal, optimal, you know, managerial strategies, just, you know, optimizing and being the most efficient I can and finding the edges that I, that I can in, in, in all sports. And then we are then just to put a little cherry on top of our nerd alert here, we are going to go <laughs> over and do a little stat casting, searching a little mining in this old stat cast mine that we're going to look for, players who I think, and maybe you think too, we're going to look at all the lineups, I guess, uh, as many as we can anyway, and try to find those golden nuggets that are still out there and available that maybe aren't having the best year from a numerical standpoint, from a regular batting average and home run, RBI, but who show all kinds of stat cast upside for the rest of the season, Rob. And and I, I really look forward to that because I started nerding out on that and I think I, I DM'd you and I said, Rob, we got to do this. We got to do this because there's some people who are just gold right now out here. And we got to we got to find out who they are and tell our listeners because you and I both love the fantasy baseball as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I that's one of the things I love most about fantasy baseball is there's just so much data and there's so much, you know, information that uh, is out there that can help you uh, determine, you know, which guys have the best chance of doing better moving forward, doing worse moving forward, you know, buy and sell type of situation. So, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about fantasy baseball. So I know you made it into the Scott Fish Bowl. I, I don't know that I mm-hmm. have yet. I got to check on things. I, I need to check on stuff to make sure that I, I, I'm in or not. But anyway, I was reflecting on my experience in the, you know, a great experience that I had last year in the Scott Fish Bowl and what I could have done a little bit differently. Because last year was the first year in that. And you know me, I, I've grown tremendously. I, well, maybe a little bit over the last couple of years trying to figure out different strategies while you guys have been doing these strategies for such a long time. And and one of the things I noticed in the Scott Fishbowl or any of these, I don't want to call Scott Fishbowl a best ball draft because it's not a best ball draft, but, you know, it's just a deep draft. And and I was wondering if I needed to have started stacking players in the drafting process or does that go contrary to, you know, like like if you, you stack a bad team, of course, it's going to be bad. If you stack a good team, it's going to end up being good. But even if you stack a good team, Rob, does that does that kind of go against you in a in a format like the Scott Fishbowl? No, you know, I actually I think it's I, I've I've come around to the idea that you know originally I was thinking you know with stacking it was more of a DFS situation, but I think there's been enough uh, studies that have shown that basically. Stacking is beneficial um, in every league, really, um, just because you're correlating your success. So um, basically, I mean, there is certain places that it's better in. It's kind of better in DFS. It's better in um, something like Scott Fishbowl, where there is so many teams. I think there was like 1440 last year. So when you're trying to win, you know, and beat out that many teams, you need everything to go right. So the idea behind stacking would be that it makes it so that you need less things to go right. Um, basically, for example, if I was to draft Tom Brady and um, Mike Evans, okay. if Mike Evans, if Mike Evans has an amazing year 
all that production is coming from Tom Brady unless Tom Brady gets hurt. So therefore, it's likely that Tom Brady is also having at least a good year because he's not throwing just to him, but he's throwing all of that to him plus more. Whereas if I was to draft another guy in the same, you know, ADP as as Mike Evans, say, for example, like a Deontay Johnson, who I, who I like a lot. <clears throat> um, but if I was to draft Tom Brady and Deontay Johnson, I would have to get two things right. I would have to get Deontay Johnson right and the Tom Brady situation right. So that would, that would require me predicting two things correct. Whereas if I picked Mike Evans and Tom Brady, if Mike Evans if my Mike Evans prediction is right, then it is also more likely that my Tom Brady prediction prediction would also be right, and therefore it's less guessing essentially that you have to do since they're correlated. Okay, all right, I I can see that. Now, as I think that way through, how how are we going to do those stacks? And and granted, I mean I know some of these things. You were good players, Wes. Okay, okay, I got <laughs> but I mean, do you want to stack it to where? Let's say in in uh, Los Angeles, all right. Let's say in Los Angeles, for example, or or we could even go to Las Vegas, uh, where you got the quarterback and you want to stack the quarterback. You want to stack them with two wide receivers, or like in Los Angeles, the two wide receivers, or one wide receiver and Austin Eckler, or is that going to be just draft room dependent kind of a thing? Like because we we looked at the volume a little while ago, whenever we were talking about quarterbacks uh, and that prize pick stuff that we were doing. And Justin Herbert was one of the few quarterbacks who threw for that many attempts, that threw for that many yards. And so we know that that's going to be a high-volume offense. How, how are we necessarily putting those pieces together? Yeah, so my my the way I like to do it is I kind of generally um, like like to have you know certain players I, I like in general. Um, now, I don't want to force it, but... Ultimately, that's why I like to, before I draft, you know, kind of have my tiers of players set up. So how I was talking before with the Tom Brady or with the Mike Evans and, and Deontay situation, if I had them in the same tier, I'm, ba- I'm essentially telling myself that I don't know. I'm, I'm not confident that one will finish ahead of the other. Right. So essentially, I'm, try- I'm going to embrace that variance of that and embrace the unknown that I am admitting to myself, hey, I can't I can't predict fully. I may have a slight lean one way or another. That's why I rank one ahead of the other. But if they're on the same tier, I'm acknowledging that either one could, you know, essentially beat out the other one. And therefore if they're in if they're in the same kind of tier, I'll I would be fine picking that player you know, over the other, even if I have the other one slightly ahead to make the stack. Now, if I have a player a full tier ahead and I'm very confident in them finishing above, I I won't force the stack. Um, but it like you like you were saying before, if it's it's kind of draft room dependent. So say, you know, in the first round you pick Austin Eckler, and then it's coming around and you have you're you're looking at maybe taking a, a Justin Herbert and there's other QBs on the board that you like similarly, but you might might as well take Justin Herbert if you already have Austin Eckler, knowing that you you're gonna, you know, Eckler's gonna catch a ton of passes from from Herbert. And then the same thing, you know, when it comes time to pick a receiver in a round or two, and if Mike Mike Williams or Keenan Allen are on the board and then you have another maybe you have another receiver, you have one or two spots ahead, but in the same tier maybe take the the guy that correlates with the quarterback. So definitely not 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 something to fully force, but it's it's definitely a a a nice thing to have to help help boost your upside weekly. Okay. Now and in best ball formats it how, how many quarterbacks should I be taking? In a best ball format, and I, I'm going to throw Scott Fishbowl in the in into this category as well. Uh, I think that in my head, anyway, they're they're similar, they're not exactly the same, but similar. Um, in best ball, we know we're going to have our. I don't want. I, I I have my tiers too, and like last year, got cut off at Jalen Hurts. I said, okay, I got to get one of those running quarterbacks, uh, running passing sl- slash quarterbacks. This year, I think it's going to be in a similar situation. Now we got introduced with some rookies and everything too that we got to think about. But do you? How many quarterbacks do you take in best ball? How many are you comfortable with taking? Two, three? I, I, certainly not four. Yeah, I've not. I don't think I've ever taken four. Like if we're looking at a, for example, like an underdog, 
um, you know, draft. They added they added a few spots. I still haven't actually done a an underdog draft to be honest with you, but uh, this this off season so far. But they I know they added a few roster spots. Even still, three is pretty much the max I'm taking. Um, it'll be two or three uh, almost every draft for me now. The way I determine that is if I take an elite quarterback, I'm generally only going to take two. And now if I take take an elite quarterback and another pretty good quarterback, then it's a guaranteed two. Um, If it's if I don't take any of the like elite guys, which is usually tops, you know, six to eight kind of guys, kind of the same as you were talking about uh, with like the running quarterbacks and just the elite volume guys. If I don't take any of those, I'm taking three. And it's kind of the, I have the same, pretty much the same strategy when it comes to tight ends too. I mean, they're, um, it's the same kind of thing. If I'm taking one of the elites, I might, I'll probably take two. Otherwise I'm going to take three just with the idea that those elite guys are the ones that you can pretty much bank on giving you a good amount of points with like a, a really high floor with a huge upside almost weekly, as long as they don't get hurt. Um, so therefore I don't need that third option because there's less risk. Um, and therefore I can use that, that extra roster spot on another position and shoot for upside at wide receiver or running back, knowing how, how much more likely those positions are to get hurt and how many more of them you need to begin with. Sure. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that now something else I've been thinking about. And as I research these things and especially in best ball tournaments, but I think it's applicable to a Scott fishbowl or any of those season long tournaments that we end up entering with a lot of people being put in those things um, is, is the week 17 strategy starting to think ahead already to week 17, which is typically a championship week in a lot of these formats and trying to build somewhat of a DFS lineup where you're trying to correlate one team with another team. And so maybe that even affects your draft room. Well, it definitely affects your draft room where you're trying to make out that lineup already to where it'll be a high powered offense versus another high powered offense. And you're trying to stack up one of those offenses with the other offense a little bit to have that one off. And, and for example, like, uh, we, we have in week 17 this year. Let's see here. Uh, we've got, I, I think this is a sneaky one. I'm not going to say this is the shootout of the week or anything like that, but I think this is a sneaky one, like the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. I mm-hmm. think that's an easily stackable game uh, from either side. You, you, you have your prime stack with the one side, and then maybe you have the one-off on the other side, and neither one of these teams are going to play a huge amount of defense. So this should be a high-scoring game in the 50s, somewhere in that neighborhood, I would think. Is that what we have to start doing in our best ball formats or even the Scott Fishbowl, Rob? Should we be thinking ahead all the way to Week 17 in the draft room? Yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of bit talk been about this Week 17 strategy. It is advantageous. Um you know, I've listened to a lot of a lot of different podcasts over the off season too, talking about these different strategies. Uh, and it's funny because one of my one of my favorites out there too is the um, PFF fantasy podcast with uh, Ian Harditz and Dwayne McFarland, and they go back and forth about it. Dwayne is very very much into the Week 17 aspect of it, correlating the games, and Ian kind of gives them a little bit of pushback on it saying it's it's hard enough to predict what's going to happen week two and three, let alone week 17. But, and, and both of them are right in the sense that, cause you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen, but at the same time, it is advantageous. Should you make it like in a, in, in underdog, for example, once you hit the, if you, if you're lucky enough to make it to the week 17, where you're playing against a bunch of people in the final, mm-hmm. you it's ideal to have game stacks like that. Like you mentioned Jags and Texans and other, a couple of the other good ones this year, Rams chargers is one of them yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and bills, bills, bangles. Oh, um, so those the people are really, really hyped about those. So it's like basically almost as if essentially, so say you draft um, Austin Eckler and your, your stack is you have the, the stack we talked about earlier with Austin Eckler, um, Herbert and, and then a Mike Williams or Keenan Allen. It could be advantageous also to think about, okay, well in one of those rounds, maybe grab Cam Akers or, or Allen Robinson, knowing that if you make it to week 17 and you're live, 
you have those guys correlated in that game with the idea that if it is a shootout, <laughs> both teams going back and forth. Ooh, I'm and getting excited. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because it's kind of next level thinking in the sense that this is what you know some of the people who have been really really good at at best ball mm-hmm. have kind of already been doing, and now the data is starting to come out where more and more people are really understanding it because more and more people are playing DFS, they're understanding game correlation, they're understanding player correlations, um, and and this is the kind of thing that really can, you know, boost you should you make it that far. Hey, Rob, the Monday Night <laughs> Football game, Week 17 is the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, Rob. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the fantasy championship game for a lot of people is the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati, but not just in best ball, not in Scott Fishbowl in redrafts and dynasty. Mm -hmm. Oh man. And and I thought about that too. And that, because there's so many good players from fantasy on the, on those teams. And then you got to think about too, the Sunday night game is the Rams chargers and (laughs) that, that, that those teams are loaded too. So it's, it's, it's it's gonna be really fun. I mean, both in terms of best ball, Scott Fish Bowl, regular regular fantasy championships. There's gonna be a ton of fantasy championships decided on the Sunday night and Monday night games, which is really just all the drama that you want. Oh, I, I gotta go outside and have a cigarette, Rob. That that that's <laughs> exciting right there. Wow. That is something special. And I love that correlation. I don't think that I would be grabbing Allen Robinson in any format, Rob. I'm just gonna go ahead and put that out there for us. But yeah, even and I even thought about uh your 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 game, your show, your your whole baby bowl stuff going on too. That might be something to think about a little bit for baby bowl as well. Just maybe saving that kind of correlation until the end, you know, just picking out one of those games. And saying, and, and here I am. See how I'm out thinking the room, Rob. Uh, you know, play him if you got him. That's always the strategy. But I'm sitting here going, that sounds so good, though. That sounds so good to save the Rams, to save the Chargers until that final week. And it'll kind of be like the Baby Bowl playoffs to some degree, where you're just saving those guys for that final push. If you can yep. make that final push, and and look, we're, we're we're all about trying to win chips, right? Or championships. We're all trying to we're trying to win that championship. And if you you have that strategy going into it, I think last year, even in one of the underdog uh, in the main event there, the underdog has or however they want to call it, I think it was a chess player who ended up winning that contest. Not not kidding, not joking. I think it was a chess player who ended up winning that one. If I read things properly, I believe uh, so. And, and and you know, you think about how you play chess, and you're two or three moves ahead, if not five moves ahead. I'm usually three or four moves behind is what I am. But, (laughs) uh, you know, you just think about some of those best ball strategies. And I really, really like that. And I think that can be applicable to the baby bowl that you are going to be getting primed up here sometime late July, probably. Right. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think, I think, you know, because Scott Fishbowl drafts, I think are going to be early, mid July. So once those start get going and start to wrap up, that's, that's when I'll kind of really be starting to push, push baby bowl. So it'll be probably late July and and then uh, I'll be really uh, pushing it at that point. But I agree. Um, You know, it's, it's actually something that I was doing a little bit of last year. Um, I would, Kind of, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't that I was saving players at all. I, I wasn't. I was because how we talked about play them if you got them. Um, I wasn't saving players, but what I was doing is I was I was game correlating. Um, so, say the Rams Chargers was week one, um, and say you know I wanted to play Austin Eckler in that game, and maybe I then play Cooper Cup also in that game. Um, and it was kind of like that. I did. I did that throughout the season. Is anytime I was playing, you know, I would I would correlate generally whichever quarterback I was playing. So if I was playing Stafford, I'd play Stafford and Cup. Maybe I'd play another another pass catcher for them, mm-hmm. and then I'd play one player on the other side. And I generally kind of like you would do with with DFS. Um, so I was playing playing my studs as quickly as I could, but also correlating the studs within the game and I, so i wasn't saving them for the end but i was doing the game stack so i do think it is advantageous to do in baby okay all right. all right so now we're talking best best bowl strategy here and we're going to go over some of these teams quickly and i mean this will be quick rapid fire rapid fire rob okay. uh whether or not we would stack these guys in a best ball format 
or if we're going to be one-offing them. You know what I mean? Like they're 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 kind of like just you pick and choose a player out of them, or do you want to stack these teams? You know, uh, Dallas Cowboys. You stacking them, or are you just picking and choosing? Um. Yeah, I'd probably I'd be fine stacking. Um. Again, I, I, I want to preface it too, but with with all these, um. I, like I mentioned before in the beginning, I haven't done any uh, any drafts yet, so I don't fully know what a- underdogs ADP is, and all, yeah. a lot of it is very relevant, you know, dependent on ADP. But I would have no problem stacking like Dak with with Lamb and um, and Schultz and something like that. Okay, and Schultz, no, no, no Zeke in there. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, a, little, a little low on Zeke, a little low uh, on Zeke. Titans. Ooh. It's tough. Titans, it's I, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I was I liked Tannehill last year, but I'm kind of down on them overall. Cardinals. Yeah, I'd be fine with it. I, I always like Kyler, and I, I like uh, Hollywood Brown where he's going, and, and so I'd be fine with it. Oh, yeah. You could, you could. Uh, Falcons. Actually, I wouldn't mind that. I like Drake London. I, I love Kyle Pitts, and I think Marcus Mariota could be sneaky enough because he runs enough, So and he's probably cheap in terms of ADP. So I'd be, I would be fine with doing that. I may have to start drug testing here at the fantasy impact today network after that answer, Rob, <laughs> uh, Car- the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, that's a good one. That's I, I say it's a good one. It's, it's a, it's a juicy one because you're like, man, McCaffrey, McCaffrey, but that, he's, he's, I mean, more DJ. I mean, no. Yeah. That one's rough because the QB situation is so bad, but I it's, it's, it's tough because McCaffrey nope. isn't like my one, my number one player, basically, and and I love DJ Moore, so I don't have a problem taking those two guys. But other than that, I, I don't want to touch the team. Stacking involves a quarterback. You can't stack it. Yeah, you got Tampa not, Bay. not doing Tampa it. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah, Tampa Bay. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. Bears. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I like Fields because of the running aspect, but I would only do it one. I would only do one one player. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't since running quarterbacks are hard because you can only they since they run so much they throw less. Therefore, the volume isn't going to be there as much for the pass catchers as it would be for like Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you, it's 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 perfect for a double stack. But if you take Justin Fields, I would only take one of like Darnell Mooney or maybe Fields and Komet or yeah, something like that. Fields and Montgomery. You really but you can't. Well, you can't take a Fields and Montgomery though because I'm afraid Fields is going to vulture those touchdowns near the goal line. It is. I, it I, is. It is tough. I don't know if if Montgomery was to catch a little bit more passes than he does, then I would be okay with it. But we've also have, have data showing that uh, running quarterbacks throw less to the running backs too. So you're right there. I, I, I wouldn't love doing, doing Montgomery. Um, so I would stick to mostly fields and one of Komet or, or Mooney. Yeah, both of them. Uh, Detroit both Lions. Can you, can you, can't, you can't stack a golf, no. man. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too big on You're golf. Cleveland. I like Swift. Yeah, um, Cleveland, Cleveland. <sighs> probably not because I, I I don't know what to do with Deshaun Watson, and if he's going to get suspended, I don't want any part of it. If he you was, if him. he was for sure, that's what yeah. you do. That's what you do. Yeah. When you sue him. <laughs> if he was for sure going to play all 16 games, yes, I would for sure. I would be fine stacking, but just that uncertainty, I'm. I I don't want to do anything with that. The Commanders. Mm, probably not. No, Denver. Yeah, cool. I'm fine with it. Oh yeah, man. That boy, you could you could find you know with with the with the with the Broncos though you can't do it. I, I I'm I'm staying away from uh, Big Al, the the tight end there in Denver. That's yeah, that's fine. Russ has never uh, so you gotta you gotta pick the you gotta pick and you could but but they got those sneaky wide receivers that we always end up hearing about at some point. They they're a pretty stackable team. I, I agree because you could take him and you could take Hamlet. one of you could take I was gonna say you could take Hamler late you could take Tim Patrick fairly late and he's mm-hmm. he's always solid and then you could also then also take one of Sutton or Judy depending on how the draft falls I I prefer Sutton more than Judy at this point but um, Sutton's starting to rise a bit more and Judy's falling back so depending on how far that ADP gap is you could take advantage of that and take take. Uh, whichever one's falling later, plus you know a Hamler and Pat or and or Patrick, and, and go from there. Chiefs, Mahomes, and uh, Kelsey, and who else? Anybody? Can, are you confident in anybody? I'm not confident, but I'm pretty sure all of their all of their ADPs are fairly cheap. Juju's yeah. probably the priciest of them, but I'm fine. I'm honestly 
probably fine taking any of them at their ADP and and throwing them Mahomes, Kelsey, and just taking shots on any of them. Yeah, Colts. Um, probably yeah. not. I think they're going to be too. Run, I think they're just going to be too run heavy. And Matt Ryan. Right. I think I think Matt Ryan will be solid enough to. Uh, help Michael Pittman out or but I, I just don't know yeah. about if he's going to have enough volume and with Jonathan Taylor there you know I, I just don't feel great about uh, Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan's one of the statue type quarterbacks where you normally would want a double stack but I don't know if he's going to get into volume to be a good double stack candidate and Matt Ryan to get cheap too boy that's a, that's a weird one the Giants yeah. the Giants oh no I can't do the Giants can't I here's wait that, that's that's why my Scott Fishbowl went out of the toilet bowl last year was because I put too many eggs in the old Giant Man. basket I believe Giants Giants are so intriguing to me though because Daniel Jones has shown so much upside in his good games and he runs a good amount he, he's he for fan he's one of the guys he's one of the type of guys where he's so much better in fantasy than he is in real life. Like he's, he might be just flat out horrible in real life, but he, he takes chances. He runs with it. Um, and I do like the, the price on a lot of his pass catchers. So it, it's very cheap with some upside. So I don't have a problem with it at ADP, but I also, it, it's very risky. <laughs> I, I quit listening to you when you started speaking glowingly <laughs> about <laughs> Jones. Uh, Jacksonville. No, Jacksonville, that now that could be one with all that yeah, talent that they got there. Uh, Kirk's ADP, I believe, is is kind of low right now at this point. And then you could slam a Marvin Jones or somebody like that in there at the end of the draft a little bit. Yeah, and you can get you, you can get, get Travis Etienne pretty yeah. fairly cheap. I mean, you think about it because the Etienne is the type of guy. Yeah, he's coming off of injury, but he should. It sounds like he's fully fully recovered right now, and he might have a full workload. He's a very very good pass catcher. Um, he's known for his passing. He's a first round draft capital running back. I mean, you think about the other first round draft capital running backs and where they generally go. And I mean, you just think about the, you know, Brees Hall is going probably, you know, likely before him or, and he's not even, he's a second round uh, running back and where Najee Harris was going and drafted last year. And um, I have no problem like taking like Etienne with one of the pass catchers, like a Christian Kirk and, and, Lawrence and getting a fairly cheap stack with some upside. Okay, we we got we got so many teams. We barely made it through. We got down to Jacksonville. That's all we got down <laughs> to is Jacksonville. Uh, but but good talk there about the best ball strategy. We may revisit that just to kind of go over some of those squads there. And uh, we're kind of looking at week, week seventeen as well. That that's an interesting strategy. My head is mm-hmm. turning. I I. I'm going to have to take a Joe Madden NyQuil pill or something like that tonight <laughs> just so I don't sit there and think too hard about this stuff. Hey, that is the daddy of the baby bowl who loves to correlate all things good. He lo- That's what he loves to do is correlate all things good. You can follow him over on Twitter at Norton0723. I believe his pinned tweet has more information about the baby bowl that's coming up here uh, relatively soon. The signups will be sometime after at the end of July after all the dust settles from some of the other uh, great charity tournaments that are going on out there. It's still up there on the Fantasy Impact Today. Twitter handle as well. It's pinned there at FI Today with a little underscore. And don't forget to follow me over on Twitter at Loafinit as well. You can follow me there. Rob, we've been getting into some of these uh, different baseball statistics, right? And mm-hmm. you and I have been talking. We will spend 10 to 15, 30 minutes beforehand just talking about our fantasy baseball teams and we never talked about it before this year on the baby bowl podcast at all because we just kind of started into football and that's where we were but this year you and i got real excited to talk about baseball because i didn't realize you liked it as much as i liked it and i am learning some things from you i think you're learning what not to do from me a little bit but (laughs) uh, i really have have started growing in my fantasy baseball statistics like getting to know some of these things the stat cast numbers and i I've, i i want to go over to fan graphs here look at the stat cast page pull up the teams and just try to see some of these teams that maybe have some hidden jewels some golden nuggets that people can get and grab uh, from a trade i doubt if they can get them off the waiver wire there are some there are some players that we'll mention tonight that i believe we can find off the waiver wire even and just that i have got huge upside in the future from their expected stats and from what they're doing right now as far as stat cast goes so I, i'm over on the new york side and whenever i think about what i want on my fantasy teams 
not only do chicks dig the long ball, but I also do as well. I I love that. <laughs> and Aaron Judge is hitting more dingers than anybody else I know right now. I think he leads all the major league at this point. And whenever we look at his stat cast numbers, some of the things that jump out at me is his average exit velocity, right? That's what we're looking at is the EV. And he's got a 95.7 EV exit velocity. His max EV is 116, where he has a launch angle of 12 and a half. And his uh, barrel percentage is 25.7. His hard hit percentage is 61. So to me, that is the top of the tier, right? If I can find mm-hmm. somebody who replicates that, who duplicates that, that is going to be amazing. And I want them on my team <laughs> at, a, at a much cheaper price than what I could get Aaron Judge for. But maybe I need to drop it down a little bit, look at some of these things, and we need to set a barometer for what our standards are going to be for these players that we're going to find in these golden nugget stat cast pages, Rob. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, you know, the, the guy, like if you can find someone in that general vicinity yeah, and maybe get cheaper because Aaron judges stats are, you know, off the charts, a guy that a guy that I actually think that is, maybe just as good might even be underlying numbers better than judge with his stats being his stats are very very good too but they're not they're not quite as good as judge right now and he's not getting quite as much um fanfare is jordan alvarez um you know obviously it's a it's a type of guy that you're gonna it's gonna take a trade and and most people are very very high on him well but when you compare the the max ev judge is at 116 alvarez 117.4 mm-hmm. their launch angle 12 and a half and 11.6 so they're both right in that ideal uh percentage hard hit percentage 61 percent for judge 63 percent for jordan um when you look at the the xba the expected batting average 322 for judge 361 for Alvarez. And then you look at the X X slug is 756 for Judge, 746 for Alvarez. You look at the X Woba, 465 for Judge, 490 for Alvarez, which leads the league. So he's a guy that, you know, if you can get him, I mean, he, he's he's putting up basically the same, you know, plate discipline and plate, you know, hit hit numbers as Judge with just slightly less you know, home runs that he's not getting anywhere near the publicity, but it's a guy that could give you just as good or better numbers as judge and probably costs you a lot less on trade. Oh yeah. And I think you could have like three, four weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I, I, I was trying to get Jordan Alvarez everywhere, everywhere, because mm-hmm. I saw some of these numbers and I just couldn't pull it off because I'm too cheap. As Everybody <laughs> will tell you I'm cheap. Same. I'm cheap. Um, and, and I just couldn't get him and maybe I wasn't a big enough believer in some of this, but I'll tell you who I did get. I got Giancarlo Stanton. Mm-hmm. I, I made a trade for Stanton uh, the other day, and and I, I'm going to revisit some of these standards that we got to have as we look for all these players on these different teams. Um, and Stanton was one of those guys that I saw because I like the the exit velocity to be above 90%. You got to have above 90% in my book to have this gold standard okay this golden nugget off a of stat cast for me we're trying to find these players that could be Aaron Judge-ish all right and the max EV has got to be over 110 I want to say over 110 uh do you think that's too low should it be 112 should it be 115 what do you think the max EV should be I would say yeah I would say anything above like 113 I mean because I think there's at least 30 guys with 113 uh, maybe a little bit more um and there's I think one of what I'm looking at here is there's 13 guys with 115. Like 115 is 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 really elite. Like, and also I do want to say for people too that um, between if you're gonna, I like using all of them, max EV, EV in general. But if you're, I do find max EV to be a little bit more predictive and descriptive of a power hitter, just because okay. EV EV even though. I use it as well. I, um, the reason I like Max EV better is it shows at your best what how hard you are you hitting it, whereas EV also takes into account say if you hit one off the end of the bat, um, and it goes like forty miles an hour off the end of the bat, that counts in there because it's all everything is averaged in, which is still useful because it, it obviously shows how often and ha- you're you're hitting to your average uh, but max ev if you generally if you look at max ev 
it shows you the pure, pure power of a player like, you know, the leaders are sure, sure, Stanton sure. pretty much every year, Stanton, Otani, Vlad, Jordan. Um, so most of your power hitters are going to be the highest in max EV. Um, so there is a little bit of noise in EV, but again, I, I, I like using them both the same, the same as you do. And I think those are pretty good, uh, thresholds. Okay. So I'm going to put, uh, our barometer here. Uh, I think that's, I think I'm saying right. Uh, EV at 90 max EV at 113. launch angle. That's a weird one between 10 and 15 is where I'm going to put it. Ideally I want between 10 and 15. seems mm-hmm. like those players who are above 15 are the people struggling to hit home runs. Right. They got to get that launch angle down a little bit. You know, they're popping it up They're 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 hitting that warning track power. They just got it too high in the air. Right. And and Mm -hmm. people below 10, they can't get it over the wall. That's that's my problem. It's slow pitch softball, too. So uh, and the barrel (laughs) barrel percentage, I'm going to put the barrel percentage at 20. I would love to see 20 or more. That's probably too high. It could probably be 18, but I'm shooting for 20 because it's easy to remember. And the hard hit Mm -hmm. percentage, I want it to be 50, Rob. 50 makes my dreams come true. (laughs) <laughs> it's fair and it may be I, I may even round up on that you know if it's like 48.9 then maybe i'll round up on that so let's look here at the yankees giancarlo stanton i think you get him fairly cheap right now he's got a terrible batting average i think he just hit a home run tonight i got him in that trade and it was somebody that i was eyeballing uh just a tremendous amount and we will visit uh this guy a little bit later, uh, uh, Castellinos. I trade him for the Castellinos. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to get Giancarlo Stanton kind of on the cheap. I think I threw in a, a Heaney as well, who's pitching lights out for the Dodgers, just coming off the IL. I don't value starting pitching all that much in that league. So I was able to pull off that trade a little bit there. And he's got a an EV of 96, a max EV of 120, like you said, just the top of the line there on something like that. A launch angle, though, it's very strange, of only eight and a half. Eight and a half for mm-hmm. him on that. And he's a power hitter, barrel percentage 23, and hard hit percentage of 54. Weird to see Giancarlo Stanton's launch angle only be eight and a half. Yeah, it is strange. Um, I think that's part of the reason why his XBA is so good too, though, because it's almost like it's more line drives than, than, uh, he's, he's going to take somebody's head off. Yeah, pretty much at this point, but he is, he's, I, I agree with you. He's definitely a really good buy because his batting average right now is 245, whereas his XBA is 295. We got a 50 point difference. Sure. I actually, it's funny. I actually traded for him, um, maybe a month or two ago as, as well, uh, in one of my leagues. And, and, um, yeah, he, he's, he's, He's always, almost every year, he's either the leader or top three or five in max EV. The guy's just, I mean, just a monster when when he when he he can smash the ball like nobody else, pretty much. And you know, you see his slugging's at 480, which is kind of down, but his X slug is 612. So, and same thing with the Woba's 349, the X Woba's 422. So all the metrics are showing this guy should be a truly elite power hitter. And if he keeps you know hitting the ball the way he is right now. All he's got to do is raise that launch angle a few points, and he's pretty much going to be. Uh, he could be. He he's, has the possibility of being the league leader in home runs the rest of the way. Labor Torres almost checks off all those boxes, but his barrel percentage is down at eleven and a half percent. Can that change? Where uh, you know our, our our ideal one is twenty percent here, which may be a little bit high, but eleven and a half percent just kind of seems like a just a guy. Yeah, um, it's funny because Glaber has gone from truly elite prospect to a huge breakout one year with a, he had like 36 home runs and basically <laughs> 35 of them from Baltimore apparently. But then, um, then he fell off two years in a row very badly. And then this year he's this year, he's actually hitting the ball the best of his career, even better than that year. He had 36 home runs. So it's interesting to see the kind of up and down of Glaber. I think he's a buy, um, I've tried to, I've tried to get him a couple I places because yeah, he, he's, he's, he, yeah, I think he's been a really good value this year because he was going pretty, pretty low and, um, he's actually hitting the ball really well. And he's in, you know, argue uh, one of, if not the best lineup in, in the league and his, even though his numbers are solid, he's actually underperforming. So he could be even better the rest of the way. No, he definitely could. And coming off a series where he's uh, going against Houston each and every night, that's always a tough 
gig no matter what with those Houston pitchers and that bullpen and everything uh, being there. In that, so he could struggle this weekend. Somebody could be looking to try and get him out of there. And so he might be one. Of, Josh Donaldson, he's probably out there on a waiver wire. He just falls a little bit short on these metrics for us too, as well as barrel percentage is way down there. Uh, it's, it's, it's at 10, and his hard hit percentage is at 44. But he looks like he could maybe turn things around a little bit. Uh, jump over here to Minnesota, Rob. I see Byron Buxton. Of course, we all know about his possibilities of hitting a lot of shots. But look at that launch angle of his. is at 20% right now, and just about everything else checks the board. But that 20%, if Byron Buxton, he doesn't have that much power to be able to hit the ball that high and out of the ballpark, I don't think. Yeah, Buxton's a guy... I've, I've loved Buxton. <laughs> I'll just be honest, but I, I love Buxton. I was very high on him heading into this year. Part of it was because of the fact that everyone discounts him because of the injuries, which is understandable. I mean, with how much he's been injured over the years, I just am the type of person that if, 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 if a player doesn't have truly structural type of damage um, I and they're healthy heading into the year, I'm not going to say they're more or less likely than another player. Um, again, if it's not structural type damage. So he's a guy I also think is a buy he went through he started off the season insanely hot and then he went on such a cold streak but i think he was playing hurt it seemed like because he got banged up a couple times and he he, but he he hit the il for a little bit and then he played through it for a while and then his average was down below 200 at one point he's up to 228 which is still not great but it is his underlying numbers say he should be at 267 he's a top 24 hitter in terms of uh ex-woba in the league um, and I think he has a pretty good amount of home runs. He has like 18 or 19 or something like that um, still. So uh, he, he's a guy that I would, I'm, I'm actually trying to buy in, in most leagues that I don't have him, which I do have Martin in a bunch, but I'm trying to get him everywhere. Yeah, he, he was traded in one of the leagues, and I was going, are you crazy? He was traded for Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton and, and other players, and I ended up getting Gio at least from that guy, so I felt okay. Uh, Gary mm-hmm. Sanchez is one of those guys, too, just in case you're looking for a replacement for Salvador Perez and you're looking for that power and that pop. Gary Sanchez looks like he might be able to have that power and pop. He strikes off all those different periphery numbers that we were looking at just a minute ago. Max Kepler is one of those names. He falls just a little bit short on a lot of that stuff that we like, Rob, on things. His max exit velocity, though, is at 114 right now. His barrel percentage, though, is very disappointing. It's only at 9. Everything else is kind of okay, and it falls in line. I I just don't know what to do with Max Kepler. He's always disappointing, and he always doesn't seem to perform up to his expected numbers. His XBA, though, 306, man. 306, and right now it's only 244. That Max Kepler is another one of those guys for me that I've loved for for years. He's he's, – He's had a 30, I think he has had a 30 plus home run season. And now he's ran a little bit more this year too. And like you mentioned, he's, he's right there. And a lot of those metrics that you like to see, he's tied in like top 25 with the max EV, which I'd love to see that. Um, he's got his, his barrel, like you said, his barrel percentage is a little bit lower than, than you'd like to see. Um, but his XBA, like you said, 306 and he's hitting 244, but he seems to be a guy that constantly kind of underperforms those. I still think he can get that 244 up to 270, 280. Um, and, you know, this is a guy that if he's hitting 270, 280 and he's still running a little bit, he could give you 15 steals on the year, maybe 20 to 30 mm-hmm. home runs. I mean, um, in a solid lineup and a solid spot in the lineup. So he's going to give you good counting numbers. I, I like Max Kepler. And he might be out there on the waiver wire, just to be honest with you. Yeah, he might, he, depending he, on your league, he might be out there on the waiver wire because mm-hmm. he has had kind of a disappointing season and people are just frustrated with him because night in and night out, he doesn't produce that mon- uh, numbers. Salvador Perez might be a buy low candidate as well. All Everything checks off. Everything looks good. I know he hasn't had the power that he had last year, so it's been a little bit disappointing. I think he started heating up in June, though. He really everything started coming together, and then of course he went on the. I don't know if he went on the IL. I, I didn't see any updates. We probably won't see any updates until tomorrow when the team actually is going to play again. They they don't seem to update that very well there in Kansas City uh, with his thumb, but he might be a buy low candidate if he can get out of that thumb injury. Yeah, that's something to really keep an eye on with that thumb. Um, He's been a bit of a disappointment, obviously, compared to last year. Um, but I don't think anyone should have been expecting him to replicate last year. But it is it has been disappointing that he hasn't been, you know, the top catcher considering where where people were drafting him. But I agree, he's a he's a type of guy that if he's healthy, uh, you got like I said, like you said too, you got to keep an eye on that thumb. Um, if his if his thumb checks out, he's a guy I would try to 
you know, buy because he could go on a tear at any 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 time. And and if you get a tear like that from a catcher, that's just a huge advantage. All right, looking for golden nuggets here. We're going to skip over Jose Ramirez's stat cast numbers, Rob, <laughs> because if I look at those stat cast numbers, I'm going to panic is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be selling real quick, so I'm not looking at his numbers. Jose Abreu, though, right now is hitting 262. His XBA, though, is 300. He is also, uh, his slugging percentage is 431. His X slug is 568, Rob, and he checks off every single box except for the barrel percentage again uh that's a little bit lower than what we'd like so maybe the barrel percentage at 20 is not where it needs to be but look at that hard hit percentage rob 55 55 for jose abreu yeah definitely jose abreu's you know he's been that steady performer at first base for years now and pretty much know what you're going to get from him you're going to get a guy that's batting 270 between 270 to 300 by the end of the year generally about 30 to 35 homers, 100 RBIs, 90 to 100 runs. And um, so that it's a steady four-category producer, and it looks like he's just, you know, right on track to do that. And like you mentioned, his XBA a little bit uh, better than what his actual BA is. And um, same thing with the X-Slug and, and the X-Woba. I love looking at X-Woba in general. It just kind of um, is an, somewhat of an yeah. all-encompassing kind of just – it just an all around amount of hitting. Um, so he's, he's 11th right now in X Woba. So it's kind of, kind of shows how, how good of a hitter he is. Yeah, you can definitely get go out there and get a Brayu. I think somebody's for, mm-hmm. unless they're a White Sox fan, then they're not going to give him up. Hey, yeah. another guy. If we flip the page a little bit here, go over to the San Francisco Giants. Darren Ruff, his his playing time. I don't know what they're doing with outfielders there in San Francisco. That's the only concern that I have. But man, Rob, he's got a ninety EV, a one twelve max EV, a twelve and a, a thirteen launch angle, barrel percentage at seven point six, so that's a little bit lower, but a forty five hard hit percentage. This guy looks like he should be able to be able to be a, a fantasy contributor, and he's probably on the waiver wire out there too, in case you're looking to try and solidify somebody there in the outfield for yourself. Yeah, he's one of those guys that um, is, is the prototypical San Francisco Giant, where they can kind of platoon him. He um, they play they don't play him full time, but when he's out there, he gives them good production generally. Um, and his underlying numbers are definitely better than what his numbers are right now. And like you mentioned, he's he's uh, probably on the wires in almost every league. And you know, if you need a little a guy, a guy that can. Uh, you know, carry you over in, in certain areas, then he's not a bad guy to get. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect like anything great or anything, but he's much, he's doing much better than anyone would probably think when you, when you mentioned Darren Ruff, no one's, no one's thinking that he's going to be, you know, in the Nolan Arenado, Jared Walsh, Charlie Blackman range of, of ex Woba. So, um, but that's right where he is, right by Lindor, uh, Muncie, those kind of guys. So, uh, even though he's not a full-time player, uh, he can give you good production when he's in there. Luke Voigt is over on the San Diego Padres, and he really confuses me. He has a 90 exit velocity, a 110 max EV, a 14 launch angle, 14.6 barrel percentage. His hard hit percentage is 42.3, but all of his uh, expected numbers are pretty low, Rob. They, they just, I, I would expect them to be bouncing off the pages here, but they're just not. But everything else looks really, really good for him. Yeah, Luke Voigt was a guy I was high on before the year because everywhere he's every stop he's been, he's kind of been an injury prone guy. Um, as much as I don't really like using that term, but he's been injured multiple times at different stops. But when he's been healthy, he's he's hit at a high level pretty much everywhere. So he was a guy that I kind of liked a lot heading into the year. It was a good value. He's been hurt. I think that's what's kind of dragged down some of the numbers. Um, I think that barrel percentage kind of is like an outlier in the sense that his barrel percentage when he when he's right he's barreling the ball at a higher rate than most of the other guys that are like in his general area of expected stats and i think it's because he has been banged up and i think that's part of why his his uh average ev is down at 89.3 because it's taken into account a lot of time when he was still banged up so I think that's what's keeping his expected stats down too. I think he's better than a lot of guys in that area as long as he's healthy. So I don't okay. mind grabbing him. Um, and he's probably in on, on a lot of wires too, because uh, I mean, he's only hitting 236, but this has been a guy that when he's right, he's, he's hit and he's in a good lineup. So I don't and, mind and, picking him up. 
Yeah, and he would be that secondary guy. If I was going to make a trade, like I'd say, hey, throw in Luke Voigt too, and I got a deal, you know, kind right. of thing. <laughs> uh, right. Another He's guy, a... another guy here who he has got to be Yandy Diaz's cousin. That's all. That's all <laughs> I could say is Cabrian Hayes uh, with the Pirates. There, he's got a 92 exit velocity, 112 max EV. His barrel percentage there, uh, if I, yeah, his barrel percentage is 50. 50, Rob. That's elite right there. But his launch angle is seven, and his uh, but no, I'm sorry, his hard hit rate is 50. His barrel percentage is down there in the 6.3. So it's it's exactly it's Yandy Diaz, man. Yeah, Cabrian Hayes has been a guy that's he's he's been so tough to really get get a gauge on ever since he's come into the league. I mean, he's an elite elite prospect, and um, it's just he just he he's, he seems like a really good hitter that's not going to give you a lot of power, like you mentioned with basically Yandy Diaz, the type of guy where you see you see where the power could be coming from. You see, you know, the max EV, you see the EV, um, you see the hard hit percentage, you see the XBA, you see all these things, and then that launch angle is so low, and it's like, can you just lift the ball a little more, and you're going to get so much, so much better, so much more home runs, and it's, it's, it is, it's, it's a Yandy Diaz profile. He has a shoulder injury. It just came up today. He had a shoulder yeah. injury. He was in that trade that I had with uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and I made, made another trade, and I ended up getting um, – uh, oh, we'll get to him here in a second, so I don't want to ruin it. But I ended up getting flipping him for somebody else because of these numbers right here. I said, oh, I love – I love Cabrian Hayes, but somebody made me an offer, and I couldn't refuse it. So I, I trade him away. Hey, uh, this guy, Kyle Schwarber. Everything about him looks like a superstar. He should be in that Giancarlo Stanton. He should be in that Aaron Judge range. Every single thing looks like it should be up there. Rob, look at look at his X slug right there, man. Six oh seven. That's unbelievable. I like it. I love I love Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> um, he's he's like your unconventional leadoff hitter because he's not fast. Um, he has a low batting average, but he walks a lot too. Um, which helps helps the the ex woba and the woba. Um, he's tied with Jose Abreu for eleventh in uh, in ex woba. Just show just to goes to show like how good of a hitter is he, he is overall. Like you mentioned, he's hitting two fourteen. His xba is two forty nine. So even if he gets up to two fifty, it's not like it's not hurting you, but it's not helping you. But his power is just I mean it's so good. His max ev is very good. His regular his average ev is very good. And barrel percentage is great. Hard hit percentage is great. X slug is great. One of the top in the league. Um, at this point, Schwarber pretty much is what he is. He's a he's a okay okay to bad batting average guy with a ton of power and in a in a good lineup. Well, and 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 you know he is a possible trade candidate for me and and for somebody you I know agree. to possibly get so you can make an offer if you need that extra power and I think you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about that power at all. Everything checks the boxes where he should be elite. Nelson Cruz is a guy, Rob. Whenever I look at him over at Washington, he's got everything checks the boxes as well, except for that launch angle. That launch angle is a little bit low, which does worry me. He's an older man. I know what that older man feels like, and maybe he just <laughs> can't lift the ball quite like he used to be able to. I thought he was going to start heating up here in June, and he did, but it's cooled off very quickly, just as quickly as it came. It left again. Yeah, Nelson Cruz has, has been an interesting guy because he every year, every year it seems like everyone is predicting the fall off for him and he's just been such a great hitter for so long at this point he's and he's been a prophet pretty much every single year um this year there has been a decline a little bit like you mentioned the launch angle and um his his uh ex-woba numbers or every everything is even his underlying numbers are lower than they have mm-hmm. been in years they're not bad they're, but they're just you know not elite i mean he used to, he was even last year and the year before he was truly like elite in, in all his underlying numbers. So um, I do think it is starting to age is starting to catch up with him a little bit. Um, I still expect him to be a solid contributor. So, so I don't think he's completely fallen off. Um, I think in the next year or two is probably when he's going to completely fall off. But, but yeah, he he's, 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 he's a solid guy still. Do you like Christian Yelich's outlook for the rest of the season? Yes or no? Yes. 
okay, I do too. Uh, I like, I love that. I love that hard hit percentage that he has right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that looks wonderful. Uh, what about our guy Rowdy Telez? Do you like his outlook for the rest of the season? Hit his first <laughs> home run, I think, in a long time yesterday. I know. I I had him on a couple teams. I dropped him. I picked him back up. <laughs> um, yeah, I do like him, Rowdy. Hard to quit it you, is. Rowdy, because your ex slug is. is so high. <laughs> exactly, and he is his ex was good his xba is better than his regular average and you know everything checks off so i as long as he's going to get full playing time i obviously he's not like a truly truly elite hitter um but he's he's the type of guy that obviously he has like pretty elite underlying numbers basically across the board and he's not going to cost you anything you get him on on wires at some of the some some Mm -hmm. places still um, or he'll be cheap, like you were mentioning, kind of a throw-in guy in in trades. That even though you you don't want to go out and say you want him, you you're trading for him. But if you trade for another guy and get him thrown in, it's it's a it's such a great extra piece because he can be he's been a top thirty hitter in baseball this year, um, according to Xwoba. So he um, he's in a great lineup and he's in a great spot in the lineup. As long as he gets to play every day, I, I think he'll be very serviceable. You know who I may start trying to make a deal for, and I don't know if I can get him because I'm down here in the South, so a lot of Braves fans down here. Freddie Freeman, though, it, it, things were a little bit low for him. He's he started heating up, but man, I look at these numbers compared to what they were just two or three weeks ago, and they seem to have shot up uh, all of mm-hmm. his Statcast numbers tremendously to me. And I'm going, wow, this guy. I should have got him while he was a little bit cheaper, probably. Yeah, Freeman's always, you know, obviously, you, you know, with uh, Atlanta, and he he's a uh, he's been elite for years now, and he's just a, such a professional hitter, basically, and everything everything's right in line. You know, his his average three hundred two, his XBA is three hundred eight, his X slug is almost a hundred points higher than his regular slug. His X woba is top ten in the league. He's 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 just a truly elite hitter and in arguably the best lineup. Um, so if there's any chance you can get him for cheaper than what he should go, uh, you can try to pull that off. And and uh, I actually I actually got him. I traded for him in a league or two like maybe a month ago, um, and I was able to pull it off and and get get it for cheap. Especially when he was kind of like you mentioned, he was kind of down at the time. So it's been nice to see him uh, boost back up. Jorge Soler. I love you, Jorge Soler, but you're not doing mm-hmm. me. You're not treating me well, man. I picked him up and dropped him in a couple different leagues over this past year, just because everything looks like it should be what it is, and maybe it's just not that time of year yet. But keep that name close to your heart and close to the ears, because whenever he starts heating up, you want to make sure that you got him on the radar to be able to pick him up just as quickly as you want to drop him. You know, just <laughs> make I, sure. <laughs> I agree. Jorge Soler is a guy I can't quit. I've had him in so many leagues last year too. And he struggled for so, so long last year. And I just was like, no, everything looks great. This guy's going to pick it up. And then he just went on a tear. And probably about June, July in that range, he just went on a tear. It was maybe in July because he got traded. I know he got traded from Kansas City to Atlanta, I believe. And then he just went on a tear for Atlanta the rest of the year and through the playoffs. I mean, he was hitting big home runs in the World Series. So. Um, that's a guy that can go on a tear at any moment. He has some of the best power in the league. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't quit. So there last gold nugget team. And we'll pick this up again next week. Rob, a little bit here uh, is, is the Baltimore Orioles because they are filled with little stat cast golden nuggets is what they're filled with. And I hate that I missed out on this guy. Somebody picked him up. I, I was going to pick him up, you know, like, like, okay, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do it because everything looks great. And I should have done it, but I didn't know who to drop. And I think it was like between Ozuna and Solaire or somebody like that. And I just couldn't quite pull that trigger because those guys look just as good as this guy. But I was wrong. Ryan Mountcastle is a stud. And if you could, if you're in a dynasty league and you have an opportunity, the next little cold streak that maybe Ryan Mountcastle goes through, go ahead and get him. Cause I don't think people are a true believer in Mountcastle, but everything that he has checks the boxes. He's got a 92 uh, exit velocity, 112 max EV, a 15 launch angle, 16.4 hard hit percentage, uh, and a 50 point, no, a 60.4 barrel percentage and a 50 a hard hit percentage, Rob, everything else, all the expected stats look great. Yep. And he's one that I was not a believer on before the year. I, uh, 
all the it seemed like all the Statcast numbers last year he he outperformed his Statcast mm-hmm. numbers. But he's a he's a type of guy that you know that here here that's that's the issue. Um, that's one of my big things with when you look at like projections and you look at Statcast numbers for young guys. Um, because then obviously the projections take into those Statcast numbers, but it doesn't doesn't always account for growth in the skill the skill set um which is much more common obviously with young guys who are especially with high prospect pedigrees like mountcastle so mountcastle is a guy i have on exactly zero teams <laughs> and uh, in uh, much to my dismay at this point with how he's performed i just saw you know him overperform my my thing was is he overperformed his stat cast numbers last year then they went and uh raised that wall and moved it back. Yep. And I was like, okay, this is going to hurt all the right-handed hitters there, which it has. I mean, yep. his the home run his expected home runs are higher than what his home run his actual home runs are, so it has hurt him on on a few occasions and Mancini and other guys like that. So it was right in that sense, but he it doesn't matter for him at this point. He's just been so good regardless. I mean, his XBA is 314, 593x slug and 391x woba, which is top 25 in the league. Like you said, he's a stud, and he was—he's a high-prospect pedigree guy. And it looks like I'm just gonna f- have to fully admit I was—I was wrong on him. I didn't expect the the skills growth at that point, and and he's done it. And I think that you can say the same thing about Santander. I think if he gets his that launch angle down a little bit, he's at a 20 launch angle right now, and we know that we like to have it between uh, about 12, 13, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's he, he needs to get that down a little bit. Austin Hayes is another name. I know that uh, you know it doesn't seem like he puts the bat on the ball quite as often as I would like. The barrel percentage only at seven percent, but man, if he could just do that a little bit more, everything else looks really good. Austin Hayes looks great, and Trey Mancini is right there too. I love mm-hmm. all four of those guys. How is Baltimore the bottom of the barrel over there? <laughs> they, they should be I mean, outperforming at all. I know they that they that moving that uh, and if you notice, all of them are right-handed, right-handed yeah. guys that have some power and. Uh, that they move that left field wall back and raise it up and it's it's hurt all of them um and uh, but i you know i know i agree and i i agree though like i it's funny it's funny you mentioned those guys i was in on all of them except for mount castle and it was mostly because all of them all of them underperformed their stat cast last year except for mount castle and mount castle not only that but mount castle was the most expensive in adp so i have i have some mancini i have some Hayes, i have some uh, Santander. So I, I do like, I do like all those guys as well. And, um, I just missed out on the, on the Mount Castle train. Yeah. And, uh, I look, look, I'm sitting here looking at Jorge Mateo too. And I'm just talking, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with him a little bit too. As I sit there and look yeah. at those things, the EV, the max EV is right there. The launch angle is there. He doesn't hit the ball really make he's, great contact, but he's such a bases divisive. Have got to, yeah. Yeah. He's such a divisive guy because like you mentioned the stolen bases and he, he, a stolen bases is a huge part of roto. So if you're playing a roto or categories league, they're needed. Unless you're unless you're playing a, a categories league and you're punting steals, then you don't want him. But he's it's funny because he's such an actual like not a very good real life player. Um, he's a type of he's 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 the Daniel Jones of uh, of <laughs> baseball apparently, where he his his fantasy value is so much better than his real life value, and you you actually got to worry about it's it's kind of like Jonathan VR too yeah how jonathan vr used to be for them and and it's lucky that the orioles are a bad team because they don't really have players to replace him otherwise he probably wouldn't be an everyday player but since they're not a good team overall he can play every day he has like some power like you said with the max ev and numbers but his plate discipline is terrible yeah um his play yeah his plate discipline is terrible but when he hits it he hits it hard and when he gets on base he runs so those kind of things are just so fantasy valuable where they're not as real life valuable when he's in he's when he's uh, his play discipline is so bad. So it's an, he's such a divisive player because some people in fantasy won't touch him. They say he's just so bad and other players are saying, will tell you that he's so underrated because he gives you um, such good steals without hurting you in power. Yeah, no, and and uh, his average is at 197, expected average 236, slugging percentage at 315, expected slug 
is 383. 383 for that little feller. All right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I talked myself into him. That that'll be a tomorrow <laughs> move. Tomorrow move. I need I need to make sure I lock up steals this week because I'm going against a guy who's got like five starting pitchers that are just aces and he's gonna blow me out of the water on all my category <laughs> leagues and down there at the bottom of it all. Rob, good job. We're gonna go over some more of those guys and some more of those stackable things uh, next time that we talk here on the Baby Bowl podcast. You always do a wonderful job. You're always uh, ready and available to talk and nerd out with me, and I appreciate that so much because it's hard to nerd out with anybody else. I appreciate it, and I, I, I love uh, I love nerding out with you, Wes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> make sure you get ready and get signed up for that Baby Bowl here in a couple of weeks that we're going to be able to put that out there and get involved with it. Check out Rob Norton's Twitter handle, at Norton0723, for that pinned tweet to check it out a little bit more just to get some more information about what's uh, going to be going on here at the end of July. And also check out the Fantasy Impact Today Twitter handle, at FI Today with a little underscore. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Loafin' It. Don't forget to check those stars, slap those uh, reviews around. I, I think I, I fumbled that all up, Rob, but everybody knows what I'm talking about at this point it's getting late it's getting late in the night rob and uh we just started out and I, i'm trying to make sure i can get mateo tomorrow i'm getting really excited about that hey uh, but more importantly than all that fantasy impact today followers and family we want to make sure and encourage you to make a find a way to make a positive impact in somebody's life today 